This episode of Searching for Ghosts contains graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Searching for Ghosts. Seemingly credible leads soon turn into conspiracy theories. When one follows these leads out, they soon have numerous people involved, either in the abduction or the cover-up. And the people supposedly involved include family and law enforcement. If there is one person who is more frustrated with the amount of conspiracies floating around and the lack of people coming forward with legitimate information in this case, it's Lucas, Casey's cousin. We've tried floating different trial balloons with this podcast to get people to come forward. We've shied away from talking about certain things in order to give people an opportunity to speak first. But now, we're going to take it up a notch. When Pam mentioned the eyewitness account of the truck in Casey's driveway that night, that, in my mind, set us on the path of another possible scenario with someone other than Mr. X. This is a path that Lucas and I have hesitated to go down until now. According to my sources, this is the path that Cindy was trying to get law enforcement to look into from day one. The alleged truck in the driveway possibly leads to another house, which leads to a couple of different people, neither of whom is Mr. X. It leads to a lesser-mentioned name. Mr. Y. When I first had the idea of doing this podcast, I was pretty naive. I thought that people would be willing to help, especially once they realized that I wasn't just trying to air the juicy gossip that has been floating around for almost 21 years. I envisioned law enforcement working with me to help guide me on where to look in order to help me help them. I hoped that enough substantiated information would come out so I could bypass the rumor mill and squash the rumors once and for all. Well, baby boy is all grown up. You and I have both learned that this notion was a fairy tale. I like for things to be clean and simple. Just the facts, ma'am, as Joe Friday would say. But I also have to take into consideration that there is a possibility that the facts surrounding this case might not be clean and simple. My gut tells me that fewer people are involved, not more. The main reason for thinking this is that it's easier to keep a secret for 21 years that way. But what if I'm wrong? I don't not want to look into something just because it's complicated. Part of being open-minded is to look at the things I might not think credible, but follow them out anyway. I mentioned in the last episode that Lucas and I were about to take this up a notch. Well, here it is. We have been contacted separately by a source who went on the record with us both. And this source's theory goes where our investigation was leading us, to Mr. Y. We've decided to use this as a baseline for the rest of our investigation with this podcast. We're not saying that this is what happened. We are not saying that it isn't either. We don't know. But we are going to put this out there and in later episodes examine and break this down piece by piece because this theory damn near involves everyone. In investigating this theory, we will cover all the bases. This is lengthy and full of detail, so hang on to your hats, y'all. We're going on a ride. I'm Brandon Barnett, and this is Searching for Ghosts. Church together, 
picked her up, took her home several times, uh, was at the party part of the time on the night, last night she was singing, um, was talking to her as we left, and then heard the next day, got a phone call from her mother around noon. We were supposed to have a swimming party at the people's house from the church and a cookout, and uh, Cindy called and asked me if Casey had spent the night with us, and I said no, she was supposed to spend the night that night, and then come to church with us Sunday. She was going to come along with us after the swimming party, uh-huh. and so she said that she had got home around 3 in the morning and Casey wasn't home and she said she'd come home with us. And to me, that didn't coincide with when she finally turned it into law enforcement because her story to them was the back door was open and the child was at home, but there was milk and cookies in front of the TV and her clothes she had worn were on her bed. She waited several hours before she turned it in, and when they got there, the house was unusually clean. It wasn't usually clean. Uh, certain people were there that even kicked a shoe off and a flip-flop off and felt that the carpet was damp and freshly shampooed. There were uh, the clothes she had on, were to the party the night before when law enforcement asked for them to bag them up for be sent off. They had already been washed and that wasn't something that was normally kept up with either. The laundry, which made it suspicious to ask me if she had come on with us and then tell the story like that. But it wasn't, it just didn't match up. Right. She showed no emotion, no worry when she called me. We went to the swimming party, uh, hoping Casey would appear at the swimming party. She did not appear, and then we got word that they thought she was missing, but they were afraid she had run away. All the girls that hung out with her at the church that knew her well knew she had not run away. That was not Casey. She wouldn't have done that. So we were very concerned, very worried, started making flyers, passing out flyers door to door. A lot of searching went that Sunday, that next day, uh, Sunday to church. We got word that from Hartsfield McCoy, who comes to the church to talk to us about Casey being missing, that we could go to Cindy and Sue's house to make a human chain and search the field behind them. And as we gathered in the backyard to do that, Cindy herself come to the door and threw a fit and screamed and hollered and run us all off. We had to leave. We weren't allowed to search. She would not let us stay on the property. Hmm. And to me, if that was my child, I would welcome any searching. I'd be out searching myself. Right. That was a red flag right there. Yeah. And then uh, I worked on this day one, 
like I said, the child was close to the family, close to my heart. We all loved her. Um, you know, just trying to do anything I could do to find clues. We had bake sales and raised money to bring the dog in, got donations from companies, did everything we could do to help bring people in to drain ponds and dogs to search and everything we could do to raise that money for a reward. It's just been gone on for years. Well, several years into this, uh, I had a notebook on all this that mysteriously disappeared. I don't have all my exact dates, and I've also heard that other people that were working on the case, you know, for years, their notebooks have disappeared, which is kind of weird. Yeah. It's kind of a weird situation, but uh, I've started a new one, but I don't have old dates. Uh, up to the point where uh, I was actually a suspect, one of the main suspects in this case of Casey's disappearance was related to me, uh, was my ex-husband's uncle, and so I knew him, knew what kind of person he was. I was very close to his mother because she was my ex-husband's grandmother, and she came to eat Sunday dinner with us every Sunday. She told me herself several times that her son had run away with Casey. And she even admitted that to the Mauer authority. I'm pretty sure uh, the county went and talked to her too. I know Mylan did and TBI did. She's deceased now, but I'm pretty sure that that uh, Houston County Sheriff's Department talked to her also. She had also stated to me that uh, she, he had called her from prison after he finally got went to prison for attacking the girl's car wash, that he called her from prison and asked her to go to the house that the bank was foreclosing on where he lived before he went to prison and how to get into a barn or outbuilding and get a gun that had been used and to have have it disposed of. So Miss Maxine told me who took her out there and who she got to go in and get the gun and who she got to dispose of the gun. Um, he had told cellmate that my ex husband knew too, a cellmate of his that was there briefly for a robbery. He has also told him, my ex-husband, that Pete got messed up. Assumingly, I guess you can get any kind of drugs or whatever you want in prison, which is bad, but you can. And spill the beans and told him the exact story that I was told later. A person in the same family, on the same side, 
uh, female. Her and I were pretty close. They had a pond in their backyard. We liked to fish. We would catch a bunch of catfish and have a fish fry. We were fishing, and she was drinking a lot of beer, and got pretty intoxicated, and told me she knew what had happened to Casey and who done it, which I had my suspicions along with other people. Nobody just knew for sure. And she told me that her and her husband were at the same party at the Cindy Steve Ricky Sykes, who has moved out of space now. Uh, just a bunch of people in that same little ring, they was like a drug ring, uh, were at the same party at Ricky Sykes' house, and that he asked Cindy, Cindy what time Casey was going to be home, and she said sometime after midnight, but long after that. That I'm gonna leave. Um, made some sexual gestures, but he had to go find something to get into. He left, and then when Cindy and Steve got home, he left between 12 and 12:30. 12 when Cindy and Steve got home, uh, supposedly is when things took place. On the Saturday. Sometime between 11.30 and 12, the day after the party. I was over at midnight. This would be the 16th of August. Uh, this lady that was in my family I was married into said, when she was telling me the story, she said that that Saturday, a brother who lived a couple houses down, uh, his girlfriend at the time, they're not together anymore, she was either getting in the shower, out of the shower, but she was in the bathroom. She heard Pete come into the house talking to her boyfriend, who was this lady's brother. They gave me this information. And said that he said, Man, I've really done something crazy. And he told her brother exactly who. Uh, who he had done it to, that he left the party, went to Simeon Steve's house. Casey was not fond of him, felt safe with him, she let him in, and he was messed up. They had been taking, I was told, ecstasy, meth, drinking, I don't know, a lot of different drugs. Um, he, she let him in with no problem because she knew him and trusted him, and he proceeded to make sexual advances on her, and he had a really, from what I've heard, satanic, really weird, perverted sexual fetish. I know a lady that used to be married to him, so uh, he just, got some really weird sexual hang-ups, but he got really rough with Casey. He raped her repeatedly. He hurt her very badly, is what I was told. During the process, when he knocked her down, she hit her head. He was afraid she had a bad 
head injury or could have broke her neck. She was unconscious. He couldn't take her to the hospital and that brow for fear of being seen. She knew she, she was breathing and she was alive, but she was unconscious. And he knew that he couldn't get her help. So the story I got was that he actually shot her in Simeon Steve's living room. Simeon Steve came home afterwards and they were real messed up. And that sounds hard to believe that a mother and a stepfather wouldn't go off on Pete over this, but from what I was told, they owed drug debts to him too. They were all messed up. Uh, they had even tried to hurt her before. People have seen and pulled them both off of her when she would flush their drugs. She was anti-drug. She would flush her drugs, their drugs down the drain, down the toilet and throw their paraphernalia away if she ever found it or they accidentally left it laying out and they had heard her before. And they got busy and cleaned everything up and that's the only explanation that they can think of for the house being for spotless and the carpet being damp where it had been shampooed. I was told that they used a pressure washer to clean it up. The girl that was getting in the shower and heard all this that went to the family member I'm talking about that was in a previous family I was in, not Casey's family member, uh, was really freaking out over it and told the lady I know that told me. And she was real close to Joe Shepard. Joe Shepard was sheriff at the time. And they even got their marijuana and few drugs from Joe Shepard. So they knew him well. She had his own number. This was Saturday. She called him at home and told him what had happened, who done it, you know, where she supposedly was. And he told her to keep her mouth shut not repeat it, stay out of it, and let him handle it, and he brushed it under the rug, and act like he didn't know anything about it, and that he was concerned and looking for her. The lady that overheard all this, after she got finished with her shower, went on up to her boyfriend's sister's house and told all this. That's the story I was told. And another part of the story that was told was that Brad Antoine, who had gotten involved with the church, even become a youth leader with his wife, or ex-wife, they had gotten divorced, but they were trying to reconcile. Um, they, that, I know he did disappear. He was in the same, even though he was active in the church, he was in the same drug ring. He was still just using drugs. He was a close friend of my brother's. Uh, and he, his daughter was a close friend of Casey. He uh, 
disappeared after the party Friday night and was not seen again till Sunday night. And his family owned a cabin somewhere in Kentucky. And what I was told was they got him to take her there for a couple days so they could figure out what to do with her. Well, I know another lady that was in Casey's family that told me that she went there the Sunday morning before the church group got there to search and got run off. And she she was married into the family and she got to the back door. They all usually used the back door. It went into the kitchen. And before she even kind of knocked on the door and walked in, she heard Cindy and Steve laughing and cutting up. They were in there cooking breakfast and drinking coffee and acting like nothing was wrong. And that's not a normal reaction to me if your child's missing. Right. To be doing that, whether they're trying to say it's a runaway or an abduction. Yeah. And they asked her she wanted to eat. She said, no, you know, she was really worried. I think she had a cup of coffee. And then she went back Monday to check on them, the same lady that was, had been married into the family. And uh, she was there talking to them, and Steve was getting his camo clothes on, yeah, all dressed in camouflage, and Pete Hill pulled up, I don't can't remember if it's in my old note, either a truck or a car, and would come to meet Steve, and they put shovels and some other things, ropes, shovels, duct tape, tarps, I can't, a lot of different things into the vehicle. I want to say it was a truck, but it might have been a car, I can't remember. And they proceeded to leave, and Cindy and the lady that told me this, this isn't the same lady that told me the other story, this is the lady that was actually married in the Casey's family. Uh, she said they walked out with them, told them bye, and they were getting ready to leave, and Cindy actually dropped down to her knees, down on the ground, grabbed Steve around the legs, and said, no, don't go do it. Don't go do it. You can't. Please don't go do it. And just really freaked out and screamed and hollered and begged him not to leave and go do whatever it was he was going to do, which she felt like was to move Casey's body or get rid of it or whatever they were going to do with it. And that's what this lady that was married in the family thought. And she did see Cindy break down over it. And he pulled away, Steve pulled away from Cindy, they left. And Cindy calmed down and the other lady asked, you know, what's going on and she said I'm not going to talk about it so that to me and everybody else that's heard it uh, that's a 
sure sign that they were going to do something with Casey to break down like that and and beg him not to leave and go do it. Right. So uh, I have given tape recorder statements to at one time in a safe location, unlocked cars, met with a man from TBI, a man from Nuisance Supported Children, a man from uh, an investigator from Milo PD, and Tim Watt from Milo PD. And they did a tape-recorded statement with me, and, and assured me that it would not leak from anywhere, and I gave that same story of what I've been told. And I even rode out to a bridge that I've been taken out to and shown where some activity had taken place by Steve and Pete and Sammy, Pete's brother. Um, even had been out there with uh, Tim Wright before. But Somehow my recording must have leaked somewhere because that led to me having a couple mishaps and one of them was on Casey's birthday. So I did have a few mishaps from that somewhere around the top. A, a couple death threats that were definitely, you know, led to make me know that it was about Casey because one of them was on Casey. Be found. If Casey can ever be found, 
it's gonna lead to solving a lot of other disappearances and and deaths that haven't been solved because it's not. there's a lot of them related to the same people, the same group of people for the same reasons. So I believe there could be a lot of people go down and a lot of cases solved if this one can be solved. And I truly believe that can happen. I believe it's possible. Right. <clears throat> now, how how, how was um? You said you, you thought Burns was was part of this too. I know that he uh, was in the same drug ring. He was at the party that night. I think I was told he was. Um. But now. I had heard he was used, he even teased law enforcement a little bit, made them think he had done it. I was told he was used as a decoy. Okay. To make them go after him instead of after the real suspect. Well, if that's true, it worked. You know what? I mean, that he was a decoy, and he, he was a decoy off and on for years. With different things to make it look like it was them. There's been stories out there, horrendous stories of things he did and that he'd done it. And I do, I have heard that she, what's left of her, is on his property. Well, not his property, but there's a lot of property in Cedar Grove that belong to his family. It's all family out there, one whole area belongs to the Burns family in some way. Right. By distant relatives or, and she is on that property. I do believe that with all my heart that she's on that property. Hmm. I think the ponds were decoys. All the searching ponds and draining ponds and that was all decoys. As far as I know, that dogs were never taken out to Bond's property. I could be wrong on that, but as far as I know, they weren't. And the, the sad thing is, so much time was wasted treating this as a rebellious runaway when those first couple days or the first week is what matters so much in getting evidence and DNA and like watching 48 hours on TV that's, that's a crucial time you're missing there yeah. when you treat it like a runaway or a biggest runaway you're missing so much crucial time and so much evidence you're just letting slip through your fingers and then you got someone saying that they, that's where the composite that looks just like Brad Antoine comes from you got someone saying she was spotted at the fair with that person. That's where that composite comes from. Right. I don't believe that she was ever spotted at the fair. Yeah. That was that was a decoy to make it still sound like she was a runaway. That's why some and then people would call in not with his staff, but she's been seen in nearby states at Walmart with this man and all that in, in my opinion is decoy to 
to make them suspect and run away and not work on it as a real abduction. And that's why they lost so much crucial evidence and time. Yeah. I think that was a big mistake on their part. And all of us that knew her well and loved her knew she didn't run away. We knew she didn't run away. Yeah. And there's no doubt in my mind that Casey lost her life that during the night after that party, Friday night, Saturday morning, it was after midnight, it was midnight when the party was over, so early Saturday morning sometimes when she lost her life is what I truly believe. Yeah. And it was intentionally set that way for it to look like a runaway to miss all that crucial time, you know, for DNA purposes. Yeah. Casey had never even been to a dentist at 14, so there's not even uh, dental records to, if they did find remains to, to compare to, she'd never been to a dentist. Yeah. Casey wrote two letters to DCS, Child Protection Services, whatever it was called back that many years ago, uh, asking to be removed from her home. Two letters. One was within a week before she disappeared. The other one was a couple weeks earlier because she was scared for her life. She was scared of her mom and her stepdad. And the system failed her. They never went and did a wellness check. They never went and did a home check. The system completely failed Casey when they could have saved her life. I know they do a lot of good, but in her case, they failed her. Yeah. Is there any so, way to verify those? I've heard that before, the DCS letters. Is there any way yeah. to verify that? I was told that it was verified. I don't know if it was verified through the Sheriff's Department, the county, or Milan PD. Okay. But I was told back early, you know, in the first several months that they did verify that there were, I thought there was just one letter. Yeah. And when they verified it, I was told that they did say there were two letters. Okay. And and that's supposed to be documented with Milan PD, I believe, and maybe even um, Gibson County Sheriff's Department because they did check into that. But they waited a couple of weeks for me to check into it because they were still treating it like a runaway. Right. I know I keep harping on the runaway part, but that really makes me angry. Yeah, yeah. Because that's such a crucial period that they wasted. Yeah. So much got clipped under the rug during those two weeks. Yeah. When they should have been working looking for us. You know, they didn't have Amber Alerts back then like we have now. Yeah. You hear Amber Alert now, and you get it for four or five hours sometimes, and then you get a, a notice that that child's been found. Yeah. Well, see, things like that just didn't happen back then. And where we live, it's even small towns. They're just not set up and equipped for that kind of, those kind of situations. Yeah. 
you know, at the same time, the John Bonet Ramsey case was right around the same time. Yeah. All the spotlight went on that. And it took them years, but they did solve that. But I know there was that one time they just gave up on this and then later decided to reopen. They say they reopen the case. But I, to be honest, don't know what they're doing to to show proof if they are have reopened the case. Right. You know, I don't know that they're searching or looking or doing anything. I could be wrong, but I don't know. Yeah. Because I ha- I just, I had some, you know, the things that I went through, I kind of lost a little trust in them. Yeah. And maybe I can be proven wrong someday that they're, maybe they're better now as different people. It's been going on 21 years now. So maybe they're, they're better equipped for things like this. But that long ago, they didn't do things right, I don't think. That's just my opinion. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff. Um, I appreciate you talking to me. Um, oh no problem, no problem. There's, I wish I still had my notebooks because yeah. I had kept everything, every little thing. Yeah. So I wish I still had it. Well, I would be glad to even just hand them to you. Right. Well, if you if anything else comes up, or if you you know, don't don't hes- <clears throat> hesitate to contact me. And about. I may have forgot to tell you some stuff. I mean, I'm you know I know that's how it worked with Lucas. After we talked, I thought, oh, I should have told him this, I should have told him that. Right. You know, certain things come up in your mind. You think of later that. Yeah, I saw it. I sure did. Mm-hmm. What did you think about that? There was some body language and some... Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know what I think about that. I, I. I've got the audio. I ripped the audio off of it when I watched it. You know. Yeah. And uh, it was. And a... there was a man. The Sunday, the party was Friday night. Saturday was the. Uh, 
diabetes for shorter to listen later in several hours later in the day. But Sunday, same Sunday that everybody got run off property, there was a man showed up at Devil Springs Church that had never been there before. Nobody had ever seen him. And he come in late and like 15, 20 minutes late. And he sat on the back row and we didn't know who he was. And when an uh, invitation was done, if anybody wanted to come forward and pray or repent or anything, he come forward. And he was kind of dirty and was kind of, I don't know, scraggly, I guess. And uh, he come forward and asked for prayer. And Terry Hanson, the preacher at the time, prayed with him. And then when church was over, he obviously had got dropped off there. Like I said, it was late, so we were all in the building already. Uh -huh. Nobody could see who dropped him off. And he was looking for a ride to the trailer park off of Gibson Cemetery Road. And said that his brother lived out there. He didn't want to be taken to a certain trailer. He just wanted to be dropped off out, by, out on Gibson Cemetery Road. And... He asked me to give him a ride, and I told him I couldn't. I'm not going to give nobody like that, a stranger a ride. Right. I'm having my kids with me, too. But, you know, that was suspicious to me, too. And I think that he was sent in there to see how the church was reacting, to see what was being said about Casey being missing, and just to kind of get you know, a feel of how people were taking it, what people were saying about it, uh, what people were going to do. We had to make plans to go out to the house and make the human chain to search that field by my house. But, you know, nobody had ever seen him before and nobody ever saw him again. And he showed up late and we don't know how he got there and don't know really where he was going afterwards. Yeah. But it was just a weird situation. I think that was set up, too. I hmm. think that was... He was definitely there to find out what was going on, how the church was taking it, what they felt, you know. And that's basically what those service was about with Casey. Yeah, right. And I think he was kind of like a spy to see what was being said and how things were Yeah. 
and that would be in my notebook too. Right. Dang. But it's amazing how many people's notebooks have disappeared, you know, after collecting so much stuff over the years and then they just disappear. Yeah. And that's what Lucas said yesterday, that he and other people have disappeared. So, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I feel like mine was taken from my ex-husband when he moved out.
Hey guys, Brandon here. I need your help. Searching for Ghosts is made on a shoestring budget. It costs money and time to be able to produce this. I don't believe in doing fundraisers like GoFundMe to support this project. I want to provide a good or service before I ask anyone to spend their hard-earned money. A while back, I put out a four-song album on iTunes and Amazon. It's called Left of Nashville. I recorded everything myself and am quite proud of it. It even caught the eye of some publishers in Los Angeles. So I'm asking that if you are enjoying Searching for Ghosts, that you would pick up a copy of the Left of Nashville EP. Again, you can find this on both iTunes and Amazon.com. The cost is under $4. I will have a link to this in the episode show notes. The way to access the show notes is to simply tap the Searching for Ghosts cover art for the episode. You will see the links for Amazon and iTunes. I appreciate your support. By purchasing the Left of Nashville EP, you are directly supporting Searching for Ghosts which will allow it to continue. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Left of Nashville Podcast Network.